And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern, Dom Contini, and Nicholas Hodel, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. And welcome into this College Basketball Bonanza on a Monday. Finally got things to work out on the schedules to uh, get both of us, myself, Nicholas Hodel, and Dominic Stern together on a Zoom call, two different parts of the country, a lot of different stuff going on, but that was really the way it has been. A lot of stuff going on an NBA draft night. A lot of people thought they had number one pegged down. Everything went kind of crazy from there, and really from there, the draft kind of turned into a bit unpredictable, but that's the beautiful nature of draft night in any sport, Dom. No, 100%. And I mean, actually, the Reports were that morning. I saw Jeff Goodman tweet that sports books all of a sudden had Paulo Bancaro as the projected number one overall pick. And I mean, that just means that people that had some inside information were throwing boatloads of money on Paulo and the sports books were like, okay, I guess that means Paulo is going number one. If these guys are dropping 10 G's on them, uh, let's, let's move these odds a little bit. And, you know, certainly there's some people probably woke up that morning and were like, Oh, Jabari Smith, he's a guaranteed number one guy. Let's throw some money on him now. He's plus 200, and they lost. Um, so uh, it was surprising because everything we had heard leading up was Jabari, 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 and I thought he should have been the number one overall pick. But considering what I'd seen that morning, I, I wasn't too surprised. So it kind of went both ways because I saw the reports that morning. I'm like, oh, interesting. But everything else leading up to the day had been Jabari. Yeah, never, ever doubt the Sharps in Vegas. It seems like that side of the area knows exactly. They always win. Yeah, they, they, always they win. know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And that was the big story of really the whole night, even from the Cleveland standpoint of Duke in general. Uh, Bankero going number one overall. Then you had Mark Williams at 15, A.J. Griffin going at number 16, and Wendell Moore going 28, and Trevor Keels also getting selected in the second round. Four first-rounders for Duke. And we had talked a little bit about this last weekend. This didn't necessarily used to be the case where Duke was really mass-producing NBA guys, but this is kind of the way it's gone very recently uh, for Duke. Now, from 2015 to 2022, Five years with three or more players in the first round of the NBA draft that, that summer. And this year it's four plus a second rounder. It really does bring a level of expectation to Duke going forward without Coach K at the helm. Yeah. And I mean, Duke's always been a program that's brought in talented players. And I mean, we'd seen recently players that wanted to go play for Coach K, especially towards the end of his career, and especially these guys. I mean, I don't think they knew when they stepped foot on campus that, hey, this is going to be Coach K's last year. I want to come play from that year. But when the news came out, they certainly played well for him. And, and I mean, this team, five guys get drafted, four of them in the first round, and rightfully so. They were a Final Four team, and they barely lost to a really good North Carolina team that's going to have a couple of guys get drafted in their futures as well. So. You know, it's a storybook ending for a really good Duke team. Obviously, I'm sure they would have wished they were the ones cutting down the nets, but only one team can do that. And it, I'm sure we'll talk about those guys in a little bit later, but Duke 
they had a very historic draft night and uh, the Blue Devils will probably be having more of them, even though Coach K won't be there. Yeah, and these are the kind of draft nights that really set yourself apart from, from other programs, set yourself apart into a whole nother level of rich tradition. And that's exactly what this Duke draft class was able to do for the Blue Devils. I'll be very curious to see if Duke can keep this up under John Shire. Maybe not five within seven or eight years, but keep this up as in, you know, like, you know, every two, three years, you're kind of doing this. I do wonder if they would be able to have, have this happen under, under John Shire. My case would be, I think they will be able to do so. And I just believe that Shire is still going to be able, at least in the first few years, to use the, the Duke poll, the brotherhood, to be able to bring some of these top guys in. Whether that lasts, we'll have to see. But I do think Duke, without Coach K, is going to be 100% fine. Yeah, people are going to go there for the history of the program. We see it all over the place. That is absolutely the case. Uh, Arizona, also another program in particular, had a really, really solid night with Dalen Terry and Benedict Maffrin taken in the first 18 picks of the night. Uh, Christian Coloco just barely missing out on a first-round selection, number 33. And second time in three years for Arizona that it has been two, it has been two first-rounders uh, out of the Wildcats. And really, pretty much the exact same slate as 2020. 2020 had the three picks of two first-rounders. Same exact classification in 2022. And... Really, I believe that this particular night, given the momentum of Arizona now, I think this really was a night to where Arizona, clearly the Sean Miller stuff was behind this program all throughout the year. It really has just officially passed. It's pretty much done. The saga is over. And I think that's bad news to the rest of the Pac-12. An Arizona program that can produce NBA talent like this is a very scary program to play against in the Pac-12. And it's only going to keep coming for the Wildcats. I really do believe that these Wildcats have some serious momentum behind them. Yeah, 100%. And especially for us as Arizona State students and basketball fans, uh, it's not good for everyone else, but it's really good for Arizona. And for Benedict Matherin to be a top five pick, or sorry, top six pick, Really, really cool stuff for him. I mean, he's a freak athlete and really developed into a really good three-point shooter this past year. I think he's going to be a really good pick. And Dalen Terry going to Chicago, I mean, I think that he's one of those guys who can come off the bench and serve as a really, really good athletic player as like a six-man or something. Now, Arizona uh, and Bobby Murphy basketball teams have had their bad success of drafting Arizona basketball players, so we'll see if that streak will be broken DeAndre Ayton, Lowry Markinen. So we'll see. I mean, those guys both played but didn't play all that well. Uh, I think Terry has the chance to really break that mold. Uh, he may have not been the star guy at Arizona, but that's not due to him. It was due to the players that were around him and the way that he fit in with that team. So I think Terry uh, is going to be a really good player in Chicago. And, I mean, I think that Coloco is a, a, a perfect backup center. He's the guy – you don't want your backup center to be a scorer. You want him to be a defender coming in, you know, not hurt you. And that's exactly what Coloco is going to do. Really good in the pick and roll too. Yeah. And Chester, from an Arizona perspective, you want more nights in the draft like 
this year's draft. You want more of those nights going forward. And I certainly believe they are coming from Arizona. I really do think they have the right guy to be able to recruit stars to Tucson and really make that program just consistently at the top of the Pac-12. I mean, a Pac-12 in which Arizona and UCLA are consistently really solid teams is usually a Pac-12 that is worth watching. The Pac-12, nowhere near the big winners in the NBA draft. Conference-wise, that belonged to the Big Ten. Nine selections, Uh topping the conferences on the night. Three in the top ten, two in the top five for the Big Ten. Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey, both of those selections, really historic picks, especially for Keegan Murray, now Iowa's top ever NBA draft selection. And really, this Big Ten... It's a great night for the conference to have to, to win the night amongst the conferences. That's a great achievement in and of itself. And you know that there's more guys in the Big Ten. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis comes to my mind immediately of those who opted not to go to the draft. The Big Ten will still have stars in the conference this next season. And to win the conference race in the NBA draft, it certainly means something for the Big Ten. Still looking for that elusive national championship, but it really does send the signal of we are a league that can be full of NBA talent and a league worth watching even if we're not winning national championships. And you forgot about Kofi Coburn too, Nick. He went undrafted. So uh, that was a little disappointing because one, I mean, he's not a pro big man. I mean, we're going to be realistic here. But it also means he should have just stayed in the NBA, but whole other topic. Yeah, this was great for the Big Ten. And when you think of the te- the leagues that you know get a bunch of guys that are draft guys, you think of the SEC, like we talked about on the last episode. Think of the ACC, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, those schools that really get the good players that get drafted. And also the Pac-12, Arizona, UCLA. You know, people go there because they want to go play basketball. And the Big Ten gets guys, and they stay there, and they get their degrees. And they may not be like the super flashy players, but they're still good players and they help teams win a lot. That's Big Ten basketball. So to see them have the most draft picks out of any conference to me was pretty shocking. But I mean, I think it's a testament that it can be both ways. And it's just a matter of time before the Big Ten wins the national championship. I mean, I really don't know why they haven't won it. I mean, you'll hear the people who say, oh, well, they just run through the gauntlet and like they have the hard schedule. Well, I mean, teams in the Big 12, have won the last two national championships. So that argument kind of sucks. Yeah, it's, it's not a good one at all. And I would, I really like for the Big Ten. I mean, you have a guy from Iowa, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State, the four programs from your conference represented in the first round of the NBA draft. I mean, if you go further into the second round, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State getting a second pick overall tonight, Michigan getting another pick. Uh, on the night you're looking at a conference that is not just defined by one or two programs because NBA talent is coming from all over the conference that's what you want as a conference you want your conference to have as many games as possible that are very watchable and that's what happens in the Big Ten on a nightly basis very much like the Big 12. Almost every game in the Big 12 is, is incredibly watchable on a night-to-night basis. In the Big 10, you can say the same thing. You have NBA talent 
all over the map within your conference. And also guys who wanted to come back who more than certainly could have been drafted this year as well. I really do think it's a great shine of conference strength all over the board. And that's really what you want to have as a conference, to have that across-the-board type strength. Other teams across the country were getting some Harry Fastor's picks as well. We talked a lot about Jalen Williams at Santa Clara on last week's program, the history uh, that could have, would have been made and was made for the Santa Clara program. I don't know if too many people would have seen him picked number 12 inside the lottery. I don't think many people would have seen that coming. And it's really difficult for mid-major programs outside of Gonzaga to have lottery picks in this day and age. Really difficult. Perhaps another example, I mean, Patrick Baldwin, his injuries troubles this past season kind of slipped him down the draft board. Don't have being a first-round pick. We'll get to him later. But for Jalen Williams, really for Santa Clara, what really does that mean for the Santa Clara program to have a lottery pick in this this draft? Well, I mean, I think it's important because going to Santa Clara is a really cool spot. And you get to play in the West Coast Conference, which, as we know, is a good conference. And you can be able to recruit. I mean, we kind of talked about this with Stan Johnson last year on a, on a podcast. You can go and find on your preferred podcast platform, uh, College Basketball Bonanza. But being able to say, hey, you can come here and you can play Gonzaga. You can play St. Mary's and you can play against San Francisco where – you know, some of these really, really good players, Hall of Famers have gone. It is a recruiting tool. And if you're Santa Clara, you can also say, and hey, it's not out of the likelihood that we could develop you and help you get drafted because we've done it before. And I think that's massive. Yeah. And it's, it's going to take a special coaching staff to be able to put that together at a place like Santa Clara uh, compared to the nation's elite programs, or even just programs within a high major conference um, period. But you would imagine that if you can get get one, if you can try to increase the talent pool of your team, climb the ranks of your conference, that alone will be good to please the athletic department and perhaps increase even more expectations. So it's a big step for Santa Clara, nowhere near the be-all, end-all, in my estimation, Let, let's get to Milwaukee real, real quick. First, first rounder for the Horizon League in a decade. First one for Milwaukee ever as a program. Even more so than Santa Clara. It's going to be incredibly difficult to make anything out of this going forward. It's going to be one of those things to where you're going to have to really just build it up now. You know, is increase the talent pool of your roster to try to make your way up the standings, make yourselves known to the right states of your conference, the Northern Kentuckys of your conference. Make yourself known that we're coming for your throne in the conference. And especially in a conference of the Horizon League, that's about all you can ask for. Just make yourself known to the top that we're coming for you, increase your position, and see what, what could happen for it. I think that's probably the best possible scenario that Milwaukee can try to make for themselves with a first-round draft pick. Well, I don't think it's actually going to help them out as much because if you really look deep into this, and I'm not sure how this this got past me this past year. I mean, Patrick Baldwin's dad is the coach in Milwaukee, so that's the whole reason he went there. It's not like they developed him. I mean, he just was the top overall recruit earlier in the class, 
He then moved down due to injuries in high school. And he's like, I'm just going to go play for my dad. I don't know if that necessarily helps Milwaukee, especially considering how bad they were last year. I, I think it's a little bit of a different case. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with you with that. Uh, it, it's going to have to be another rebuilding process. I mean, you, you had your shot. Injuries kind of plagued it. You have to really kind of start over there and just try to make anything out of it, really. I just don't see that necessarily happening there. Um, but a program like Toledo might be another story. Not a first-round draft pick, but Ryan Rollins selected in the middle of the second round of the NBA draft. And a program like Toledo in a Mid-American conference that, even though it is a one-bid league, is still a very solid conference to play in from a mid-major perspective. I do think there can be a case made for Toledo that perhaps they can use the one, try to get perhaps one or two guys that perhaps could have been out of reach before, get that pitch, make it, see if it works. And if it does, great. You're going to have a really solid one-two or even just one guy that can complement the rest of your team. And a place like Toledo, where you are pretty much expected to challenge for the Mid-American Conference title, I do think this could bring some good to their program. Yeah, 100%. Because I think it's more reasonable for Toledo to get four-star or even three-star recruits and develop them in the draft pick. So I, I, I agree with you here. I think this this will help Toledo a ton. Yeah, that, that will certainly be the case there. And I want to go back to the, the first round a little bit. Uh, Jake LaRavia in particular, Wake Forest, was not expecting him to be in the top 20 uh, of no. this year's NBA draft at all. It's a really good result for Wake Forest as a program, kind of trying to make their way uh, in the ACC you know, a very tough conference, even even if it is in a town year, in some cases, the regular season. For Wake Forest, a first-round draft pick like this, you can try to make something out of it. Cer- certainly be more of the programs that can find a way to do it. Find a way to take charge of yourself and just try to give yourself an additional edge and I would certainly imagine that Wake Forest, it will take time for Wake Forest to be able to do this, but I cannot imagine it's completely out of the realm of possibilities. No, I mean, I was really shocked at this pick. I honestly hadn't really heard that much from LaRavia. I mean, I knew he was a good player. He's their second best player on Wake Forest, but then to see him go round one, and not just round one, but pick 19, it was pretty shocking, but no, Big frame, you can shoot the three ball a little bit, uh, really dominant down low. So, you know, I think this pick has some uh, some positives to it. But like you mentioned, for Wake Forest, I mean, it's something you can build on. Say, hey, you can come here and you could be a first-round draft pick. We, we, we have LaRavia. He's done it before. You can also play college basketball in North Carolina, where we love it here. We've got North Carolina. We've got Duke. We've got NC State. We've got a bunch of other really, really good mid-major schools. Wake Forest can play for us. And I think that Wake Forest could definitely be a program that you could see continuing to build going forward and being a tournament team. Yeah, and just to kind of bring this whole NBA draft thing home a little bit here, it's only one recruiting pitch at the end of the day. Whether you're recruiting for transfers or recruiting high school prospects, it's only one pitch. And there may be certain guys where that one pitch is all you need. But 
they get the top guys, chances are it ain't going to be enough. And having the NBA pitch, you know, having having a pitch of we can be a destination for you to develop and further your skills and be able to have scouts come look at you and be able to have those eyes on you in a big-time setting or even at a quality bit major, that one pitch can only take you so far at the end of the day. And it's certainly going to take for a program to succeed the right coaching staff who can use these pitches properly to get really talented guys. And that's really what a lot of these guys did developing and getting those top guys to go to their respective schools. And there they are on the NBA draft board with their school represented in the first round or even just in the draft at all. So it's a big credit to some of those programs. Obviously the elites are all up there as you would expect, but for programs like a Santa Clara to be in the first round, like a Wake Forest, you're like in Colorado State with David Roddy at number 23. It certainly does put some respect on their programs to be able to have those NBA draft picks. And you would, and now the longer that, that sort of tapers off a little bit, that makes things interesting. But if you can try to keep it going on a, not even an annual basis, you know, a solidly consistent basis, Don, that's kind of what you would want to be able to keep that NBA pitch alive. Yeah, it's all about consistency because, like, a couple of years down the line, you aren't going to say, oh, you remember David Roddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First-round draft pick? We, we can make you that. It's not going to work like that. Now, if you get a couple other guys who so you could maybe go in the second round, then maybe it's a little bit of a different story. So I think that's kind of the whole pitch. Yeah, and, and really, once you're drafted to the NBA, you can really make your own story. So many great guys. doesn't really matter where you go in the draft. It's all about getting – Kawhi them. Leonard – Yep. changed the Aztecs program. I mean, obviously, yeah. Steve Fisher recruited him, but he really put that program on the map. Yeah. It really now, now look at it. Yeah. I mean, once you get to the association, you can make anything in one of it. But getting that draft pick uh, for college programs, be able to unlock that pitch is such a big deal. Uh, and that really can be a program change. As you said, with Kalai Leonard there, and, you know, some programs, they – have the NBA get every once in a while. It's not consistent. They can't really take advantage of it. And perhaps for some of these, for perhaps one of these programs, we'll have to see down the line if it ends up paying off. But we'll have to really take, get that when we get there. That'll, that'll be a long ways before we can really determine whether draft picks this year can really pay off for programs. More immediate news in college basketball, kind of our subtopic for this episode this week, our second of two big topics, the conference challenges for this coming season. SEC Big 12 was a little while back, hadn't gotten to it, but the ACC Big 10 challenge, but I really wanted to get to these were these matchups announced this past week. And there are several really appetizing matchups in the ACC Big 10 challenge this year, but not on November 28th. Two games, Minnesota at Virginia Tech, Penn at Northwestern. Well, that's been all we're going to get for that day. Uh, but the two days following are really where the action is at. Headline November 30th by North Carolina and Indiana. I think this is Indiana's biggest game in the challenge since 2017 when the Hoosiers hosted Duke. I, I really think that that is kind of the level of where this is at. And Indiana's got a shot. I mean, you can't, it's one of those things to where not only are you hosting a blue blood, you will have a shot, a legitimate shot to beat them in Assembly Hall. What greater environment can Indiana ask for than that? None. I mean, uh, this is exactly what Indiana is going to need. And yeah, I mean, I, we all see that shot. I forget who hit it, but Tom Crean, you know, he's like, ah, like 
oh my God, I can't believe you hit that shot where buzzer beater to beat number one, North Carolina. I mean, legit, legit possibility. It's the same situation, except there's going to be a number next to Indiana. I mean, I think this is definitely going to be the, the headliner match. Uh, it's going to be early in the year. So like, obviously you have that, but I mean, this is a great opportunity for Indiana to really assert themselves early and they don't have to win it. Like you don't have to win this game. You have to be there with, with North Carolina, who we know is going to be a top two team entering the gear. Uh, I, like we talked about it on our last episode, which you can go and listen to on your third podcast platform last episode. Uh, North Carolina is going to be number one or number two. I think it should be number one, but Indiana should be highly ranked as well. They, this is going to be such a good matchup. Yeah, it really will be. And, you know, that the buzz bit you were talking about, Kentucky going to Bloomington. Yeah, and with, and that was a historic Kentucky team of its own. And perhaps the reason why Kentucky hasn't played Indiana in a long time uh, because of that buzzer beater. But this, these are the kind of games that the ACC Big Ten Challenge is all about. Giving these kind of programs marquee games early in the year. And November counts when it comes to NCAA tournament sink. Don't let people tell you that. I mean, you can ask Dayton about that from, from, from this past year. You can ask them about that and just how much November counts uh, as far as getting into the tournament. And so these kind of games matter. And this is going to be the headliner by far of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Plenty of other solid games that we would expect. Ohio State and Duke. And Duke. Duke will get another shot at Ohio State after the upset this past year in the challenge. So that'll be a really fun game in Cameron Indoor. Michigan State and Notre Dame might not be a a bad one on the last day of of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And Plenty of our decent teams. Miami's going to have Rutgers. That might not be a terrible game in and of itself. So you have some very solid games on the third of the last day of the challenge. The middle day of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Virginia at Michigan seems to be the headliner of this day. And I don't think it's anywhere close, if I'm going to be completely honest. It's really not by much. Well, I think that the two games, Syracuse at Illinois and Maryland at Louisville that day, are two big games. I mean, those are four good programs. And I mean, Syracuse had a down year, but Illinois uh, is really good. And then Maryland, Louisville, those are two teams that are kind of on the same trajectory. New head coach, uh, historic programs that have won national titles before. So I think that's actually a really cool matchup. But yes, you, you're right. I mean, Virginia has won a national championship recently. Michigan's been there. Uh, they've also been one of the top teams uh, quite frequently of late. So uh, that, that's the headliner, but I think there's two really good matchups in there as well. Yeah. I think Syracuse got to really play well in November to really give that game a big time game feel. Uh, I'm sure the Illinois fans will do their part in building that kind of atmosphere there. You know, just kind of looking at where Bart Turbic has the analytics at this particular point in the year after a lot of the transfer activity is pretty much done. Still don't know where Imani Bates is going to go, by the way. Um, but I mean, you're looking at a lot of, of matchups involving sub-75 teams. I mean, Syracuse at this moment, 84th, but you could easily pull your way up if you're Syracuse, I would imagine. Same thing for Louisville, kind of hovering around the top 90 in there right now. Wake Forest, same deal. Georgia Tech inside the top 100, but it's not by much there. So you have a lot of those uh, middling games uh, as well. And, and that'll be uh, quite a, uh, a fun deal to really look at there 
really as well. Uh, but I, I, but I am also glad you uh, kind of peed me a little bit. Uh, John Robson has Gather Games matchups, and no, mm-hmm. no joke. And Shelby, I was kind of looking through them like, hmm, I don't think we've any seen any of this yet. Sure enough, comes out right when we're recording this, uh, per John Robstein's sources. And this is going to be, this will have some intriguing feel. Indiana will get another really solid matchup on the road this time at Xavier. That could be a really solid matchup for Indiana. And so these conference challenges, they've really helped Indiana build the schedule out very well. 100%. I'm not sure why they need to do uh, Xavier and Ohio State every year. That matchup was awesome this past year. Obviously good for Indiana to get that matchup, but I, I really think that uh, getting that Ohio rivalry is the way to go. Villanova, Michigan State, I mean, you get uh, Izzo, and then you get uh, Villanova sub Jay Wright. I mean, I think that should be a really, really good matchup. Um, and then, I mean, Butler at Penn State, that should be an interesting one. Uh, two teams kind of on the same trajectory, you know, programs that have had good years in the past, but have been down the last couple of years. Uh, Northwestern at Georgetown, two teams that have tournament like aspirations, but haven't been able to get there. And Marquette at Purdue. I mean, that's, that's a really big one. Same with Iowa at Seen Hall. Yeah. And, you know, the boom, Philadelphia, Michigan State, Marquette, Purdue, Iowa State, and Holland, Indiana, Xavier. There's definitely a tier of, the really good matchups and the matchups these conferences are need for a challenge win, but aren't necessarily going to be the most watchable games. Certainly you have those kind of matchups there within this challenge. And it's going to be really fascinating to see where, where uh, this really ends up. And it's going to have to be a, a, a big one rare for really both these conferences. I think that goes without saying, uh, but you know, there's four really quality matchups four matchups that let's be honest we'll watch as college basketball people but aren't going to be the best for the casual viewer um, of the sport especially in November you get a good mix of high quality games and a good mix of games that for some of those teams I mean let's be honest some of those games are probably be vital for one of those programs at least a win in the gather games will probably end up being vital uh, for one of those eight teams that doesn't have that marquee matchup in this challenge. And so you're really going to have to win those type of games. And same thing in the ACC Pick 10 Challenge, man. You win your conference ch- challenge games in no, uh, early on in the year. And for the SEC Pick 12 in January, you win those conference challenge games, that can only help you. Because that's going to be a lot more difficult of a game than what you're normally getting in your non-conference schedule outside of other MTEs that you, that you may play in. And so... Fascinating stuff in the Gavin games. They're really just the two big tiers of matchups, what really draws my eyes uh, to that. Uh, but the SEC Big 12 Challenge, we haven't had much of a chance to really get to this on the program. Um, but the SEC Big 12 Challenge, late January, it's always a marquee event. And it wouldn't be an SEC Big 12 Challenge without Kansas and Kentucky playing each other, because that, of course, has to be the case. Uh, they play each other a lot in this challenge, but it's far beyond this matchup that makes this challenge so fascinating. It's Texas at Tennessee. It's Arkansas at Baylor. You have Alabama and Oklahoma in this challenge. Mm-hmm. Old Miss and Oklahoma State is going to be a fascinating one. Auburn and West Virginia will be fun. 
so many fun matchups in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, and it really does showcase the strength of both of these conferences and such how many enticing matchups there are. Yeah, no, this challenge has really excelled over the last couple of years with these conferences, really elevating uh, with the amount of good programs that it has. Arkansas at Baylor should be fantastic, except from a year with Arkansas having a really good team, at least projection-wise. Texas at Tennessee, that was a great game. And Austin uh, this past year at Texas Tech at LSU, that should be really good. Auburn at West Virginia, that should be insanely good. And Alabama at Oklahoma, uh, future uh, SEC matchup. I mean, obviously, same with Texas at Tennessee. And uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, two programs that hate each other because of their football get to take it out on the hardwood. Yeah, and, and for, for my money, I mean, from top to bottom, at least, by far the best of the challenges of these, of these three major challenges uh, from top to bottom. Even in a game like Iowa State and Missouri at this point in the year really captures my attention of two teams that will probably be fighting for either seating or a spot in the at-large pool. And, you know, those are the kind of games that really fascinates me, really gets me watching college basketball. Really, really any game does that for me, if we're going to be completely honest here. Let's getting to back to the two November challenges, just to sort of wrap up another shorter edition of the show. You I mean for my money, UNC Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, the two best games by far of this challenge. Certainly you can make a case for Michigan's the other name being the number three um, in, in this particular challenge. Uh, but you but other than that, there are a lot of teams that I think can use a win in this challenge to catapult a season that you're not going to see a lot of pundits predicting. That's kind of sort of what this challenge feels like to me. A lot of good matchups, not necessarily great matchups, but the teams that win these good matchups could catapult themselves into another tier of the respective conference. As for the Gavit games, I'll let you get your overall words in these uh, challenges too. Again, I've said this before. You have two tiers of games, you know, the, the elite tier of the Gavit games and the tier of this challenge that is going to be necessary for a conference to win to take the Gavit games. That's sort of how I'm feeling these November challenges. Let's get your overall thoughts now. Yeah, I mean, I think it provides power five basketball or power six because you got to include the Big East literally with the Gavit games. That's really all that matters. I mean, you know, you, you see some of these games in the Gavit games that may not seem appetizing on the scale. The Paul at Minnesota, Nebraska at St. John's, even Northwestern at Georgetown or Butler, Penn State. But at the same time, that's so much better than having to watch Dixie State or just some uh, some really small school like UNC Greensboro. As much as we enjoy doing that, you don't you don't have to. You can watch really competitive basketball four-star three-star recruits go at it so I think that's really the my overall take is that these games even though you're like ah you know where's Ohio State in this still better than just any other mid-major game or mid-major low major versus you know one of these other schools yeah and at the end of the day these conference challenges provide an opportunity for these schools to get really good opposition early in the year uh, that some of these programs may not even opt for if there wasn't a conference challenge. And it really just gives them the opportunity, throws them into a game with a really good school, really makes them see who they're made of 
I mean, MTAs do that very effectively, but these conference challenges can also do the exact same thing very effectively and give something to really look forward to. Next week, this, this, this next week on Friday, it's a big moment. Conference changes for this next school year become official. And this year, that is five schools making the transition to Division One. We'll have an episode for you this coming weekend detailing all five of those schools making the jump, as well as the other conference changes that'll take into effect. Or perhaps we'll even discuss the incarnate word situation. They weren't going to go into the whack, and yet they have pulled the complete 360. They're staying in the Southland. We'll definitely talk about that. The other conference changes going official on Friday, as well as the five schools. We have not seen a class entering D1 that big in a long time. And we'll really discuss that de- for, to the details on the next show of the College Basketball Bonanza. But for now, for Diamond Extraordinary, Nicholas Hodel, wishing you a very good week, everyone.